Hey, Brian here with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans. Right now we worship on Saturday evenings at 6 o'clock on Canal Street. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard. Also on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. As uh, many of you know, we were planning on moving into a new space uh, this past weekend. We were going to be renting from our friend Cassie over at NOLA Till You Die. And we are going to be moving to Sunday mornings and uh, over the last week and a half or so now, the warehouse that housed Cassie's shop, NOLA Till You Die, and another furniture store uh, caught fire and burned to the ground. And honestly, it's been a, it's been a huge, uh, huge loss. It's been... Uh, incredible for, for us and even more so for our friend Cassie and for Canal Furniture and for our community. And So this past weekend we took some time just to reflect on loss, uh, to think through what kinds of things God might be doing and how we can cooperate and also what it looks like to actually find and experience trust in the face of doubt. So let's head on over. Much peace to you. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series entitled 40 Days. Some people do 40 Days of Faith. Some people do 40 Days of Prayer. Some churches do 40 Days of blah, 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 whatever. Ours is a little bit different. It's 40 days of what in the world was going on with Jesus between his resurrection on Easter Sunday and the day he ascended into the heavens. There were 40 days from Easter, and we often forget those 40 days because they're easy to forget. Easter is quite amazing. We celebrate on Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus, the the cosmic Christ, God is not dead, but God is alive and well. God is in the process of redeeming and restoring and reclaiming all of creation. And Jesus is raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, and we say hallelujah, and then we kind of go back into just kind of whatever it looks like, whatever our life looks like. But it's fascinating because there were 40 days that I haven't thought very much about. 40 days where the disciples actually got to wrestle with the fact that this dude was dead and now he's not. He was dead a few days ago and now he's eating dinner with us again. He was dead a few days ago and now he's going fishing with us again. He was dead, like dead. First off, we have to come to the realization, like do we understand and, and, and do we comprehend and do we believe that Jesus was dead? Dead. In my experience, dead is dead. I've never seen someone who was dead not be dead anymore. He was dead. They had a funeral. They saw the body. Now he's not dead. 40 days. What happens in those 40 days? So we've been looking over the last couple of weeks. Um, we looked at what new creation Means, And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. This understanding that in Jesus, everything, everything is being made new. There's new life. There's new expressions of life. There's new experiences to be had. There's new creation. Last week, we looked at the fact that it was only women in all of the 
accounts, the gospel accounts, the first people who saw the resurrected Jesus were women in every single account. And we talked about the reality and and the, the message behind the message. What were the gospel writers trying to say? And I believe that what they were trying to say is that in this new creation, everyone stands on on the same level playing field. There is no man or woman. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no black or white. There is no American or Palestinian. There is no gay or straight. There is no, you, you call it, there is no division. And this, in a patriarchal society, I think the gospel writers were saying, hey, check this out. Look, look who gets to experience this first. Look who get to be the first preachers of the good news. Women weren't allowed to do that. But in Jesus' kingdom, they do. Tonight, I love this. Because it's fascinating to me that in those 40 days, there were so many God-fearing, God-respecting God-loving people who were filled with doubt. Filled with doubt. I don't know if you've ever been filled with doubt. If you have not, this might not, I might not be the best pastor for you. <laughs> that was bad. If you've ever had doubt, though, I, I might be right up your alley. Because I feel kind of oftentimes like I'm the, I'm the king, of, king of doubt. And I really, I used to have a problem with that. I used to think, oh, I'm so faithless. I, I have so, I'm, I'm the OE of little faith. But I think that's okay these days. I think God, Jesus' spirit is, is totally okay with it. And I'm going to go somewhere with this tonight. Let me read these passages to you. And this will kind of launch us in. Matthew, this is, I'm going to read all four gospel accounts here. Matthew, chapter 28. This is the last chapter of each passage. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Jesus was now raised from the dead. They went to meet Jesus. And when they saw the resurrected Jesus, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. (laughs) What? Like, he was dead, and now he's standing in front of them. That would be as though Mike was standing right in front of me saying, no, it's me, Mike. And I'm like, eh, I kind of doubt it. I mean, you look like Mike. You're shaped like Mike. You smell like Mike. Good smell, Mike. (laughs) You know, you sip on your coffee like Mike, but I doubt it. Mark chapter 16, verse 9 through 11. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene of whom he had driven out seven demons earlier in his life before he had died, and now he's back from the dead. She went on, and she told those who had been with him and those who were mourning and those who were weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe her. No, guys, I'm serious. I saw Jesus this morning. Yeah, (laughs) whatever, Mary. That would have been me. Guarantee it. Luke chapter 24. Verse 36 through 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood upon them, uh, stood among them, and he said, Hey, 
Peace be with you guys. Now they were all startled and frightened, thinking that they maybe they saw a ghost. And then Jesus said, Why are you guys troubled? And why do doubts rise up in your minds? Look, look at my hands, look at my feet, it's me. Touch me, see me, I'm not a ghost. Look, I have flesh and I have bones. See, look, just as, just as you have. I'm just like you guys. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he said, hey, uh, do you guys have anything to eat while we're here? Did not believe it. John chapter 20. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus. But what else do we know Thomas as? Why did this poor dude get doubting Thomas? I just read all three other Gospels. Everybody, nobody believed. Everybody doubted. Thomas gets a bad rap. Because we call him Doubting Thomas. But we should have Doubting Peter, Peter and Doubting Bartholomew and Doubting Simeon and Doubting John and Doubting Levi. They should all be doubting because they were all doubting. Poor John. I'm, poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve. I wonder if John, who wrote this particular book, just had a beef with Thomas. I really, you know, because no one else records this story. It's like John's just like, Boy, Thomas, I'm going to stick it to you. People are going to be reading about this stuff for years, man. It's going to be awesome. They're going to think you were a total dweeb. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came in. So the other disciples told him, hey, we saw Jesus. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, a week later, a week he had to wait. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas, this time he was with them. Yay, they invited Thomas to the party. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas. He said, Thomas, here, put your finger here in my hand, see? Reach your hand out to my side. Stop doubting. You can believe now. And Thomas said, My Lord, my God. I get it. And then Jesus said, hey, look, you saw and you believed. Blessed are those even more who have not seen and they believe. So tonight I'm going to do something that I've never done before in 17 years of preaching. I've never read my message, but I'm going to tonight uh, because I didn't know what I wanted to say until this morning. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to. Walk with me through this. Normally, I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite an animated of sorts preacher. But today I'm going to read and uh, invite you to find yourself in this letter of sorts. In the, ebbs of, in the ebbs and flows of life, we find ourselves often experiencing the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. No one is exempt as we all have moments of smooth sailing and severe setbacks. In my own life, I've experienced the joy of marriage and raising children, graduating from college, purchasing a home, finding great joy in the love of good friends. At the same time, I've lost a friend to death in a car crash. I've lost everything I owned to a hurricane. I've lost friends to conflict. I've been stabbed in the back by other friends. And I've had certain dreams that have been dashed. For others, 
of you. There's been a loss of love. There's been a loss of a loved one. The loss of a dream, the barrenness of a womb, an addiction that is stolen from you. There's been financial loss or something else. For the majority of us, we find it quite easy to reflect on the goodness and the love of the divine for us. When life seems to be giving us what we desire. When we marry the person of our dreams, we proclaim, Thanks be to God, for God has answered my prayer for a good mate. When our child gets into the school that we wanted them to get into, we say, Thank you, God, for answering my prayer. When that financial burden is relieved, we exclaim, God, I thank you for always looking out for me. There's very little room for doubt in the good times. There's very little to be fearful of. And there is great joy and gratefulness. There's praise and there's trust. At the same time, when our world is rocked, even just a little bit, in my own experience, we often find it exponentially more difficult to rest peacefully in the loving embrace of the divine. Our desire for control sets in. Our need for order and our demand of organizing the future kick in. It often does not take much. Think of your own life. When was the last time that your incessant need for control kicked in? When was the last time that you began to doubt that God might actually have your back? What did it take to sway you? For some, it was a minor loss. For others, it was a major loss. For some, the loss of a client made you wonder if you had somehow angered the divine. Or perhaps your adult son has chosen the pathway of heroin and you can't help, you can't help but wonder if you upset this God of the heavens who is now punishing you through your son somehow. Or maybe this morning you missed your prayer time and this afternoon you lost your job. Do you choose to correlate the two? Are they connected? Is this how the divine creator treats his creation? And so doubt arises. Something in our life has gone astray. The stars have fallen out of alignment. If only by a fraction, and yet doubt sets in. To make matters worse, many of us have been taught that to doubt is to only make matters worse. To doubt is to defy this God of the heavens. And somewhere along the way we were taught that to doubt was to lose faith. And to lose faith, to lose faith is the worst thing that one could possibly do. But is it? Is doubting the worst thing that one could possibly do? Or is doubt just part of the journey? And not only is it perhaps okay with God, but maybe is it possible that God, even God, smiles on our doubtfulness? I suppose it depends on what your image of God is. 
In the book of Hebrews, the author writes that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. I'm going to read that again. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, St. Paul says that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile himself to all things. According to the New Testament scriptures, according to Christian tradition and Christian theology, Jesus, the Christ, is God in the flesh. If one would like to know what God is like, then we need look no further than Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. What might God think? Look at Jesus. How might God feel? Look at Jesus. So how might Jesus respond to us in our times of doubt? In our times of sadness? In our times of confusion? In our times of frustration? In our times of unknowing? In our times of wavering? Perhaps Jesus would respond to us the same way he responded to his friends all those years ago. Again, in the Gospel of Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. In Mark, when they heard that Jesus was alive and that Mary had seen him, they did not believe her. In Luke, they were startled, they were frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. And he said, why are you troubled and why does doubt rise up in your minds? And when he said this, he showed his hands, he showed his feet. And while they still did not believe it, he said, do you guys have anything to eat? <laughs> and in John, we read about doubting Thomas. In each of these situations, what happens next? In Matthew, I didn't read it, what happens next is Jesus says, I got some work for you to do. Get to work. The path I've laid before you, stick to it. What I've shown you this far, keep going. Fascinating. What's wrong with you knuckleheads? Why are you doubting? Are you guys stupid? I'm standing right here in front of you. Those words don't, don't come out. I know you guys doubt. Keep moving. In Mark, same commission, same thing. In Luke, you guys got anything to eat? <laughs> I think this is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, we don't believe it's you. Yeah, that's cool, but I'm really hungry. So do you guys mind if I just sit over here at the table? And anybody who wants to join me, like, come on. My favorite. And in John, what does Jesus do? Thomas, I know you doubt. I don't have a problem with that. I have, I have so little of a problem with it that let me make extra steps 
towards you. Here, touch my hands. Here, touch, touch, my, touch my side. Here, can I have a hug? Do you want to eat together? I, I, I don't have a problem with you needing to touch my hands or my side. Like, that doesn't bother me. It's okay. This is not a picture of a God who is discouraged or disgusted or defeated because of our doubts. This is not a God who is baffled and bothered and beside God's self because of our doubts. This is not a God who is angry or antsy or antagonistic because of our doubts. Not at all. No. This Jesus, this Spirit, this divine God is the one who walks right into our doubts and our fears and our lack of faith and says, I'm the good shepherd. Follow me. Stick to the path. Come this way. In this life, listen, you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. You will feel victorious and you will feel defeated. You will experience love and you will experience life uh, loss. And yet, through it all, I promise you that I will walk through it with you. That's what I, I, I will do that. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not play the game of good karma, bad karma with you. I will not play superstitiously with you. I will, not, I will not punish you by a loss of job because you forgot to pray this morning. Or because you ran out of time. Or because you didn't read your Bible in the last 18 weeks. Or years. I don't play that game. I don't play that way. I'm not afraid of your doubt. I'm not afraid of your sadness. I'm not afraid of your confusion. I'm not afraid when you get angry with me. I love you. I'll walk with you. I'll care for you. I'll be with you. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Bring your doubts. Bring your fears. Bring your anger. Bring your sadness. Bring your frustration. Tell it to me. Tell it to my face. Give it to me. Let's go. If I'm not big enough to walk through this and handle it from you, then I'm not big enough to really be divine. So bring it. You don't have to hide it from me. And you don't have to hide it from yourself. And here's, here's what I ask of you. Will you trust me? Now listen. I'm not asking you to trust me to make your life a gym. I'm not asking you, will you trust me that I will give you that call? Or that I'll make sure you live in that dream house. Or that you'll always have the job that you just so desire. I'm not asking you to trust me like that. I'm asking you, will you trust me with your life? The good and the bad. And the ugly. The triumphs. The setbacks. The wins. The losses. The hallelujahs. And the lives of children are in the room. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Trust means letting go of the need to know. Letting go of the need to be certain. For trust is not marked by unflappable, dogmatic certainty. Because we're not going to get it. But trust is marked by embracing, as a normal part of faith, the steady line of mysteries, the steady line of uncertainties that parade before our lives 
and learning to see them as opportunities to trust the divine even more deeply. For Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. And you may trust me. So for me, I learned something about myself this week. I am angry. I am frustrated. I am aggravated. (laughs) But I lost everything in Hurricane Katrina. And I look back and I go, hmm. I recognize some of these feelings. I'm really sad. But I am using what the Spirit of God has taught me throughout my life, among other things, Katrina was just one of them, to say, well, this sucks. Let's keep, let's keep moving. Let's see what God's going to do. Does this mean that we missed God on this other thing? I don't think so at all. I don't, I don't think we missed God at all. Does it mean that God wasn't directing our steps to move in that direction? I don't think this means that at all. I think God was directing our steps. And then that building caught on fire. And I think that God, in a way, is going... Hmm. Well, we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to come up with another plan. <laughs> so that's that. So that's where I am. But you know what? You're in a place tonight. You're in a place. I mentioned a lot of things. You're struggling with addiction that's stealing joy from you. You're struggling with jobs. Just for the record, I'm struggling with jobs (laughs) this week. This is my job. This is what I do, and I'm struggling. So there you go. I've quit uh, a lot of times this week. I I bet you some of you quit your jobs this week too, didn't you? Up here? Come on. It's an honest place. Nobody else? Just me. (laughs) This must be the honest place, huh? Some of you, your kids, man. You have grown children. And they are like driving you berserk. Some of you have grown spouses. And you don't know you're beside yourself. So what are we going to do? Well, we can choose trust. So when I trust God, it's all going to get better? (laughs) There was nowhere in there tonight. There's nowhere in there. I, I just, I, I, and I, I've told you this before, my favorite passage is the one where Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble. I think it's the most promising promise that Jesus gives us. I know we like the other ones better, but honestly, I see this one come true more than any of the other promises. In this life you will have trouble. No one puts that promise on their refrigerator. 
We're taught, hey, take all the promises, all the promises, and write them down and put them on your refrigerator. No, but I've never walked into a house. In this life, you will have trouble. Oh, I have that one on my fridge, too. <laughs> it says right after that, but listen, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm going with you. I'll do it. So tonight, we're going to share communion together, and we're going to worship together. Uh, I know, I know, our, our the clock is a little, little longer than usual. Uh, I had more to say than I thought I did, but we're not leaving without sharing communion together. I believe that Christ meets us in a very powerful way at the communion table, and our communion table is is the best thing we got going here, besides coffee and connection, because our communion table represents all the stuff. Everything that's written on this communion table in Sharpie represents the stuff. It represents the junk in our lives. It represents the anxiety. It represents the struggle. It represents the depression. It represents the frustration. You bring your stuff and you leave it at the table. You write it down. Integrate it into the life of our community. Because what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours because we're one in Christ. And we're going to carry each other's stuff. What carried me this week a lot of you guys. You weren't giving me advice. I got a few of these. Hey, Brian, I know this is awful. Call me if you need to talk. Hey, if you want to go to breakfast, give me a call. Hey, if you want to share a cup of coffee or a beer, call me up. I got emails from my buddies around the country who pastor other churches. Hey, if you need anything, give me a call. It's sustaining because we're in this thing together. And we are in this thing together.